Welcome to 900 Ackland Avenue. This is the podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. This episode is from a sermon J.P. Conway preached on February 16th, 2020. The sermon was on Matthew 5, verses 21 through 37. Thanks for joining us. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. We are missing about a dozen folks this morning who are uh, on a prayer retreat up at uh, St. Mary's, which is up on Monteagle Mountain. Uh, Ryan Solberger leads this twice a year. There will be another one in August, if you want to mark your calendars for that. But twice a year, he takes uh, members from our body up on Monteagle Mountain to just pray and to be still and to spend time in silence and uh, good fellowship with each other. Uh, and I know that uh, I know they're having a good time. I've heard good reports from them. So our blessings with them. In all the hustle and bustle, I think we failed to recognize um, one of the most bizarre holidays in American culture. Two weeks ago was Groundhog Day. Uh, it does not show up on the liturgical calendar, obviously. But uh, two weeks ago was, was Groundhog Day. And my understanding is Punxsutawney Phil did not see his shadows, so we'll be having early spring, which of course in Tennessee, we already knew that, right, for, for a variety of reasons. But every time I hear about uh, Groundhog Day, I'm always reminded of the movie by the same name, the 1993 film with Bill Murray. Perhaps you've seen it. Um, I remember that as a clean movie. Kids, you should watch it. It's good. Uh, double check, but I think it was clean. Um, but a really funny movie. And in the movie, in Groundhog Day, Bill Murray, the protagonist, gets stuck in the same day. And then he lives the same day over and over and over. And you remember the scene, and you've seen the movie, where he wakes up at 6 a.m. every morning, and the same song is always on the radio, I Got You, Babe, by Sonny and Cher. And you watch it, it gets stuck in your head. And then he always, as he's walking through the town square, he runs into an old high school buddy that is just dying to sell him insurance, Ned Ryerson. And he has all these exchanges with Ned Ryerson throughout it. But he's stuck. I mean, can you imagine the nightmare of living the same day over and over again, and you can't get out of it? And he realizes he can't change all that's going on around him. The only thing that he can change is himself. So as he begins to change himself, gradually other things around him begin to change, and it's not really the same day anymore because he changed. Life is often like that where we get stuck in cycles and we get stuck in patterns and we know the script and we rehearse the cycle and we just can't break out of it. And that's what Jesus is going to talk about in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount this morning. When I'm talking to, uh, to college students about this and teaching uh, this part of the Sermon on the Mount with them and talking about cycles, I often use this illustration and it, it seems to resonate with them. I'll say, uh, college girls, have you ever been home Thanksgiving and Christmas for the holidays? And at a family function, your grandmother says, so, are you dating anybody? And then a young college girl will say, no, I'm not dating anybody. And I'm not worried about that. I'm not concerned about that. And the grandmother might say, you know, when I was your age, I was already married and had a kid on the way. And the young lady doesn't like that cycle. So she said, you know what? I'm in school to get an education. I want to do something with my life. And the grandmother says, oh, do something with your life. 
She's saying I didn't do anything with my life. I raised four kids, and once they started school, I went back to work. I think I did something with my life. Someday you'll grow up too. And it just, it's this cycles, right? And some of you are like, oh, that is my Thanksgiving, right? As I just get caught up in these cycles. What Jesus is going to show us today in this reading is that when we get caught up in these uncomfortable cycles, there's a way out. You don't have to be stuck. And Jesus can help get us unstuck. If you would stand with me for the reading this morning, it's on the inside of our bulletin. It's a rather long reading. This is familiar. You have heard it said, but I tell you. And I've bolded the, but I tell you section for you so that you can jump in there with me in the bolded sections if you would like. This is the Sermon Amount. This is God's Word from Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of fire and hell. Therefore, if you're offering a gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge. The judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out till you pay the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is His footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King. Do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply, yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. The word of the Lord, you may be seated. And thanks for being patient with the long reading this morning. Here's what I want to say right off the bat, that I was sadly in my 20s, maybe even 30s, before I realized this. In Christian thought, we so often center on Jesus' identity as Son of God, Risen Lord, 
Messiah, Christ, and King. And rightly so, for Jesus is all of those things. But Jesus is also the best teacher that has ever lived. Jesus is the smartest person that has ever lived. And the very first way that they related to Jesus was, he's a wise teacher. It was only later that they came to see him as Messiah, Son of God, all these things that we know him as. And I'm sad to confess that for much of my life, I saw Jesus as the Son of God, but did not think of him as a really wise teacher. Of course, I felt like I had to obey the commands, but I didn't always think the commands, the principles, the recommendations, the practices were smart. But they are. Jesus' teaching is the best teaching we could ever find. And the practices he gives us are good for us. And they're just that. They're practices. Jesus did not send down an arbitrary list of ten things and says, well, if you agree with these ten things, you're a Christian. No. Jesus gave us practices. And says, if you practice these things over time and later through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you will become like me, and that is your salvation. Your salvation is getting to live more like me and less like who you are. You're fallen state. And so when we read these practices here, in Matthew chapter 5, there are six. Our reading covered four. When we look at these, these are practices that Jesus invites the people into. And there's a rhythm here that I think is really interesting. And it's probably about ten years ago I was reading a book. I think the title was Kingdom Ethics by, by Glenn Stassen, who, who has passed away, and also David Gushy. And they had this rhythm of interpreting this that I thought was, was very helpful. What we see in the reading is, you have heard it said, but I tell you. And they said a way to encompass that is, is a threefold sequence of, first and foremost, traditional righteousness from Moses. These traditional commands, you see them here, do not murder, do not commit adultery, these various things. This is traditional righteousness. And it's not that Moses' commands were bad. It's just that Moses' commands did not go far enough, didn't get to the hard issue. And so they, they say, and I think they're right, that these traditional, this traditional righteousness often leads to a vicious type of cycle. We get caught in these cycles, trying to follow these commands, but never really getting to the heart, and we get in cycles. And so what Jesus is bringing here is what they call a transforming initiative. To get us unstuck out of these cycles. So a threefold sequence of traditional righteousness, a vicious cycle, and then a transforming initiative that breaks us out of it. So let me quickly go through these four and show the vicious cycles that took place in their culture, perhaps even in ours. And then to show what the transforming initiative would do for them. Okay, so the first one here. Do not murder. This came from Moses. And it should be said, Jesus agrees with the command, do not murder. <laughs> it's a good command. But it didn't go far enough. Um, let's say that after church, some of the kids are playing as they always do. And one of them gets upset with so-and-so. And they run up to me and they say, JP, uh, one of the kids 
grab two donuts instead of one. This is a big set of the actual church, right? Okay, so one of the kids grabbed two donuts instead of one, and conflict is breaking out over this. And so I'll look at them and say, you know the scriptures, kid. Do not murder. And I walk away. <laughs> You're like, okay. Uh, we are hopeful murder does not break out over donuts. But is, is there anything else we can tell them? Because um, you can do a lot of things to someone and, and not kill them, right? And you shouldn't kill them, but you can do a lot of things. You can retaliate. You can start a fight. You can spread gossip and slander. You can ruin their reputation. You can destroy their relationship. You can make it where they never want to come back here again because it's uncomfortable. You can do a lot of things to someone and not kill them. And so what would happen in their culture, they would build up resentment and frustration, and they would talk bad about each other, and they would refuse to hang out anymore. Perhaps you've had relationships like this. But then they would come back and say, I'm a righteous person because I obey the commands of Moses. Do not murder, and you will look at my life and see that I never killed anyone. But their hearts were far from God. And their relationships had grown very toxic. The next command is, is do not commit adultery. And adultery is having sexual relations with someone that you're not married to. Whether it's before one is married or you're married to someone else, you have sexual relations with someone else. That's adultery. And that's a good command. Jesus agrees with it. But it doesn't go far enough. So, so similar analogy, you know, imagine that uh, a young man here at church is, is dating and he comes to me and says, JB, I, I just, you know, I just met somebody. We just went out on our first date. JB, you got any relationship advice for me? And imagine if I just looked at him and said, son, you know the scriptures. Don't commit adultery. Don't sleep with her until you're married. That's wise. But I think he would rightly say, is there anything else I should know about relationships? Is there anything else going on there? And so you're thinking, oh no, that's all I was told as a kid. That explains a lot. Um, you know, there's a lot more to relationships, right? Because you can harass somebody. You can abuse somebody. You might even be able to assault someone. You can definitely objectify someone and say, I didn't sleep with them. And we've seen a lot of this in our culture and in our world. And it's, it's toxic. The next one is, Jesus says, you've heard it said from Moses, if you're going to get a divorce, give her a certificate of divorce. And this always deserves an explanation. Jesus tells us later in Matthew 19, Moses allowed divorce because their hearts were hard. And so one of the things that happened in the patriarchal society that, that Moses was living in at that time is... Um, is men would just kind of freely divorce their wives, and the economic situation revolved around the man. And so women were at great risk if their husband just woke up one day on a whim and said, I no longer want to be married to you. Moses sees all this going on, so he says, guys, we need to have some legal arrangements to provide protection for women and children about this. So let's have a certificate of divorce. Let's, let's kind of be more on the up and up on this. And that was Moses' way of bringing just a glimpse of redemption into a really difficult situation. But what was happening, we see this even more in Jesus' day, when 
women did not have the right to divorce, and so what men would do is they'd get tired of their wife, and they would go find another wife, and they might have four, five, six, seven wives in the course of their life, but say, hey, I filled out the paperwork. Get off my back. I obeyed Moses because I had all the paperwork filled out. And people would rightly say, is this what God really desired marriage to be? Shouldn't marriage be a lifelong covenant? So once again, imagine that someone at this church comes up to me and says, JB, I just want you to know my marriage is really struggling. And imagine that all I said to them was, well, whatever you do, make sure you fill out the right forms. Make sure you, you dot the I, you cross the T when it comes to the paperwork. And this led to understandings of marriage that were far different than what God knows is best for us. In a very toxic situation. The last one is probably the most difficult one for us, us to do because he says that, You've heard it said, fulfill your oaths, but rather just let your yes be yes and your no be no. And we're thinking, what's going on here? Um, they would try to manipulate each other when they would tell somebody something. They would try to manipulate them by swearing on Jerusalem, which I've never done. Never even been tempted, probably to say, to swear on Jerusalem. But um, you may remember as a kid trying to convince your friend of something crazy. And they, they looked at you, and then you would say, I'll pinky swear. And they'd say, oh, this is serious. We're doing a pinky swear, so this must be legit. But what Jesus is saying is how they would swear on Jerusalem in various things. This was, this was a way of doing manipulative speech. It was a fancy way of lying to each other. It was smoke and mirrors communication. Where they would get people to believe things that weren't exactly true, and they would get away with things by various forms of manipulative speech. And, and Jesus, it's a vicious cycle. Just be a plain spoken person, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So, those were the four vicious cycles that they were all living in in the time of Jesus. And so, Jesus comes and he basically says, and once again, later they will see him as Son of God and Messiah, but at this point, they're like, this is the best teacher we've ever heard. And what we often do when we have problems is we try to find a good podcast on it or a good TED Talk. And uh, we try to find a good book on it. And some of you have recommended these to me and I've recommended them to you. And they're good things. But might we suggest going to Jesus when we have problems? And seeing Jesus is every bit as smart and maybe even more so than all the books we've read and all the podcasts we've read. Because Jesus comes and says, friends, what you're doing is not working. You are stuck in a toxic cycle. And to get out of it, you're going to have to change. You've all heard the cliche, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, but expecting different results. And so Jesus says... You're going to have to change. You're going to have to make the first move. You can't just sit back and wait for the world to change. If you want to get unstuck from this, you're going to have to change. It reminds me of the scripture in, in Romans 12, 18, where Paul says, As much as it depends on you, 
live at peace with everyone. You're probably not going to 100% be able to live at peace with everyone because some people just don't want to live at peace, right? But as far as it depends on you, okay, as much as you can control, you make the first move and you take ownership. So quickly going back through these, this is what it would look like if they moved beyond the traditional righteousness. They tried to get unstuck from the vicious cycle and they said, what would a transforming initiative look like? So someone in your life truly upsets you. And it's their fault. And you're thinking, well, I, at least I haven't murdered them. What would it look like to say, I'm going to pursue reconciliation? And we're all thinking, they should be pursuing reconciliation. I'm not the one that did anything. But Jesus says, how about you pursue reconciliation? And see what happens. Instead of... All this anger and resentment festering. Go to that person. Go to that person and, and speak to them. Try to do it face to face. My rule of thumb, and I have fallen short of this, and some of you know this. An email is better than a text. A phone call is better than an email. And face to face is better than anything. And... If things are spiraling out of control, slow down your responses. You don't have to respond immediately. You can wait a couple days. Try handwritten letters. That will slow down conflict, right? Because uh, we're used to these immediate responses that are not always thoughtful. But uh, I had a situation uh, just this week. Not someone that, that, that goes here. Not someone uh, even associated with this church. But someone acted... Uh, very ungodly. And it was their fault. And I was really upset. And uh, I wanted them to pursue reconciliation with me. And I had trouble sleeping the other night. And so finally, I reached out to them. And praise God, thankful for the Holy Spirit. Because as soon as I just reached out and said, hey, would you like to get together sometime soon? They immediately said, Thank you. Thank you for contacting me. I want you to know I was wrong. It was my fault. No excuses. But I kept thinking, what if I hadn't reached out to them? Because I'm a prideful person, like a lot of you. I want to wait for other people to reach out to me. But Jesus says, no, be the first one that starts and reach out. You know, this command, the next one, do not commit adultery. It's a good command. We, we shouldn't practice adultery. But a more proactive way to look at it is to, say, is to say, how can we treat people with honor and respect in our relationships? We just had Valentine's Day, which in some ways is every bit as bizarre as Groundhog Day in our culture. And um, we are so confused of romantic relationships, both in and outside the church, because we see romantic relationships as what's in it for us. What's in it for me? And, and I think the transforming initiative Jesus gives it is we love someone, we truly love someone, we want what's best for them. And so the relationship is about how can I serve them? Not what's in it for me, but how can I honor them? How can I respect them? And so honor takes the place of the selfish gratification that we often have in our culture. Respect takes the place of the objectification. <laughs> So when a person comes to me with, with dating advice, which hasn't happened often, but uh, someone comes to me for dating advice, 
try to respect and honor that person as much as possible. And, and that goes to a very different place than, hey, whatever you do, don't commit adultery. And then on this, this idea of, of marriage and divorce and filling out the right paperwork, um, their mindset was all wrong. Because they saw marriage as a temporary thing, and God wants us to see marriage as a lifelong covenant between husband, wife, and God. God must be part of that relationship. It's not just two people. God is part of it. And to see it as, as lifelong. Now, we try to say this plainly at Ackland for a number of years. Sadly... Life doesn't always work out the way we want it, and divorce happens. And if divorce has impacted your family, we want you to know that God is a God of mercy and grace, and we will not abandon you. At the same time, unless it's an extreme, abusive type of situation, we're going to fight for each other's marriages until it's over. Until the very last breath we're going to fight for each other's marriages. I expect you to fight for my marriage, and you should expect me to fight for yours. Or we're going to raise our kids and our teenagers to see marriage as a lifelong thing and not just a temporary thing. And then last, it's the hardest one for us to understand, but it's the easiest one for us to break. Jesus says, don't practice manipulative speech. And, and I know, friends, we're in an election year. There's a lot of bizarre speech going on. And with social media, obviously, it's only taken it to an even higher level. But you are invited to be the person in your family, in your place of work, in your school, to be the plain-spoken person. And so let your yes be yes and your no be no, and just to be clear. Half the time, I can't figure out what people are saying. They are talking a lot, but they are intentionally being vague, and they're doing it for reasons of power. Jesus invites us. We want to get out of these toxic cycles of communication. Just be a generous, plain-spoken person. And then over time, perhaps other people will as well. I'm thankful that Jesus came in human skin as the Messiah, as the King of kings and Lord of lords. But let's not forget, he's the best teacher that has ever walked the face of the planet. And there are times that our lives will feel, we're just stuck. We just get stuck. You can't change those around you, but you can change yourself. You can make the first move. And when you make the first move by the power of the Holy Spirit, God promises to be there with you. Let's stand together and sing. You've been listening to 900 Ackland Avenue, the podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. If you'd like more information about our community, our church website is http colon slash slash Thanks again for joining us. God bless.